Sunday we gather here and we open the scriptures together to hear from the Lord. Um, and so that's what we're going to do now. Uh, and we believe, though, when God speaks to us, it's not meant to terminate upon ourselves. It's not meant to just stop with us hearing from the Lord that he, what he actually desires for us is that we would respond to that and that we'd respond um, to uh, his word to us, that we'd respond to his um, initiative towards us, his words of grace and kindness and goodness towards us, that we'd respond in community together. And so we, we have what we call our connection time where we spend a few moments after the message to just encourage one another, to connect with one another. And then also um, his, uh, his message to us is meant to lead us in worship, that we're meant to, to respond to what God has said and, and praising him and exalting him and glorifying him. The message this morning is really an expansion on the theme of that line that we just sang, God be exalted, God be exalted in everything. And um, there's, there's times, I think, in our lives, there's situations in our lives where I think we can often wonder, really, can God be exalted in this situation, in this um, in, in this time of trouble, in this time of sickness, in this time of mourning, is what, what's God actually doing? This is a time of tragedy and disappointment. Uh, is it really possible that God could be exalted, that God could be glorified, that God could be honored and thanked in times of trouble? We're in the Gospel of John, and I'll invite you to turn to John chapter 11. And... Um, as we've been seeing as a, as a church family, as we've been walking through John's gospel, John's biography of Jesus, we see, we've seen that he's really organized this gospel, especially the first 12 chapters around um, seven signs that Jesus performs, seven signs that Jesus works. And they're, they're called miraculous signs or called miraculous deeds. But John is um, consistent in calling them signs. He's, uh, signs, again, point us uh, to something. Signs are not the point. They point us the, to the thing that is the point. In fact, signs tell us what we're looking at. And so these signs, the, we call, that's why we call this series the signs of the king, is that these signs are telling us who this man is and what he's all about, what, who, what, who it is that we're looking at when we look at Jesus. And so this is the lead up to that last great sign, the, the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And so I'm going to read um, chapter uh, 11, verse 1 to 16 of John's gospel for us now. As we really focus in on this, um, what's, what, what is John saying to us? What's God saying to us in the lead up to this great miracle of resurrection? So John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let's, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, 
a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It's when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go also, let us also go, that we may die with him. This is God's word to us this morning. These signs are written, John tells us, so that you may believe, and that by believing you would have life in his name. The sign of raising Lazarus and the lead up to it is meant to inspire faith in us. Faith in Jesus in us. It's meant to birth faith in us. And so that's my prayer for us this morning is that as we consider this, as we look at some of the details of this text, and I'd encourage you to keep it open because there's a few things I do need to point out about even the words and the grammar of the text, that God would use this to birth faith in us, that we believe in Jesus, that we trust him more, and that by believing in him, we'd have life, fullness of life. He's not meant to lead us. Believing in Jesus isn't meant to be boring. It's not meant to lead us into aggravation. It's not meant to be a burden. It's meant to lead it to life. First thing I want to point out, though, um, that we that uh, we need to keep in mind is that the love of Jesus may include trouble for you. First main, main idea this morning is that the love of Jesus may include trouble for you. I don't know if you noticed in those first few verses, John repeats over and over again He wants to stress the relationship of love that Jesus has with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, these three sisters who live in a town called Bethany just outside of Jerusalem. He's he's stressing that relationship of love that Jesus has with them. That um, the fact that Lazarus is sick is not an indication that Jesus doesn't love Lazarus, but John wants, is going out of his way in his description of this account to make sure that we understand and are crystal clear that Jesus really does love these three people. You see that in, in verse, uh, verse 2. It talks about this um, event where Mary anoints uh, Jesus. And we actually, it's interesting, that, that's actually, that account is in chapter 12. So we're coming up on that in a little while. So that event has not yet happened. And yet John wants us to say, this is the Mary. Mary really loves Jesus. Mary has sacrificed for Jesus. Mary has, um, is, is someone who has uh, demonstrated her love for Jesus. And whom Jesus has received uh, signs of great affection from. And then when Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus, they, they how do they refer to Lazarus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Highlighting the fact that, Jesus, you love Lazarus. Jesus knows who, uh, who they're talking about. 
by just referring to the one that you love. And then in, in case we had any doubt, verse 5 says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So there's no doubt that Jesus has great love for these three people. But Lazarus is sick. Deathly ill, in fact. And it's important, I think, for us as a church family, for you as a hopefully a follower of Jesus, or someone um, considering following Jesus, that you understand that people that Jesus loves get sick. Sometimes we say, like, man, I, I can't believe this is happening to that person. They're such a good person. Or I can't believe this happening to me after all that I've done for Jesus. And we revert, I think, naturally to a, a very simplistic understanding of suffering and in trials and sorrow and, and, and think that, that, that good people should re- lead relatively easy lives and that uh, bad people should have more painful lives. That that's kind of our, our natural understanding of how this world should work. But this text is crystal clear that people that Jesus loves, that Jesus loves deeply, get sick. They experience heartache. They experience trouble. You may say, well, how's that loving? How's it loving? What's the, what's the reason why Lazarus is sick? Why is the reason, what's the reason why that uh, these people are going through such heartache, through such difficulty? How is it loving? What's the reason for it? And, you know, Jesus tells us the reason for it in chapter, in verse 4, where he says, this sickness won't end in death. No, it's for God's glory. The reason for Lazarus's sickness is God's glory, and so that God's son, so that Jesus himself would be glorified through it, through Lazarus's sickness, so that God would be praised and that God would be seen as beautiful and that God would be seen as praiseworthy. That's why Lazarus is sick. Well, and we can say, well, that's really easy for us to see because we, we understand what's going on, that Lazarus is raised from the dead. It's a similar reason that Jesus gives in John chapter 9. I remember that, um, that narrative of the man who had been born blind. And some people come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Who sinned? This man or his parents? Is the reason for this man's suffering, is the reason for his trial and his difficulty, is, is, the reason for it, is it his sin or is it his parents' sin? He's, he's being punished for something, obviously. This Again, this simplistic notion that hard, if you have a hard life, have a dif- difficult life, it's because you've been a bad person or someone. Someone's being punished for doing something bad here. And so it's either this man or his parents that have sinned. And Jesus said neither. It was so that God would be glorified through this man's um, blindness. The reason that he was born blind is for God's glory. And so really this text is forcing us to give up on that simplistic notion that good people lead easy lives, that bad people lead painful lives. This text also forces on us the understanding the truth that God has a reason, God has a purpose 
in your trouble? And that can sound like a really pat answer, right? That can sound like a cliche that as you're going through something really difficult and someone says to you, you know, don't, don't worry, God's got a purpose in that. And that can sound trite. That can sound like a cliche. That can sound like a pat answer. Hey, that, you know, I know you're in a lot of pain. I know that you're sick. I know that you're mourning. I know that you're grieving, but God's got a purpose for it. That somehow doesn't satisfy our, our hearts. And yet, I'd encourage us to think that that's actually much less of a cliche. That's much less of a pat answer than that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. The, the truth the scriptures teach is that, that God has, is, not only, is, ne- is never just doing one thing at a time. Right? He's got more on his mind than just you and I. He's, he's got the whole world in his hands. Right? The whole wide world in the palm of his hands. And so, so God is never only doing one thing. And this, what the scriptures would teach is that, that everything does happen not for a reason, but for thousands or probably hundreds of thousands of reasons. And that God has all kinds of purposes, many purposes through every situation. And his wisdom is displayed in how all of those different purposes are interwoven with all of the other purposes of every other event to accomplish good for his people. And so Romans 8, 28 says that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That all things work together with all the other things. So all the hundreds of purposes for this situation are interwoven with all the hundreds of purposes for every other situation. And they're interwoven in such a way is that God has a heart that God has in good intentions for his people, that God has good purposes and he will bring them about. But it's never simplistic to just say, well, this is the reason you're sick. This is the reason why you're, you've been laid off. This is the reason why you have financial difficulty. This is the reason um, why uh, your family situation isn't the way that it is. God's always doing more than we can see He's doing hundreds of things through every situation in your lives. But the trust, the confidence that this text calls us to is that God is working all things together for his glory and for your good. That ultimately, he will turn it out for his glory. That ultimately, he will turn it around for your good. So that everything does indeed happen for many, many reasons. And they are all woven together by God in such a way as to show God's love and to show God's power, to show God's glory to you and through you. You say, well, you know, how is that love? How is that love? Well, love is always giving us what we need most. Love gives us what we need most, right? To be, to be truly loving someone is to give them what is truly best for them. What will bring us the fullest the most longest lasting joy. And sometimes that is, is through difficulty and through trouble. You know, I spoke at Vic Lowen's funeral yesterday and from the 23rd Psalm that even though he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Even through the deepest, darkest valleys, you are with me. 
And so I know your nearness. I know your presence. I know your comfort. I know your provision in a way that I would never, ever have known apart from being through this deep, dark valley, through this time of difficulty and danger, of peril, that it's through those times that we know God's presence most clearly. And so there are times where God will bring you through times of loss to experience his provision. God will lead you to times of, of struggle for you to experience his help. God will lead you through times of pain so that you could experience his comfort. That God will lead you through times of great weakness so that you would know his strength and provision. I know that's my story. I know that's the story of many multiplied throughout this room many times, is that in our times of greatest need, in our times of greatest loss, in our times of greatest weakness, is when we've known God's touch the most clearest, that we've had the best picture of who God is and what he's doing, and we've known his love. We've known that he cares for us in the time of our greatest need, in the times where we're we're in situations where we, we can't handle it on our own. That's where God... You know, that's where, we, that's where we relate to God most closely. And so the love of Jesus for you will often mean that you're walking through times of difficulty and trouble, of sickness. Times of difficulty, times of illness, times of struggle, times of loss are not a sign that you've been discarded. That's not a sign that God's kicked your life to the curb and forgotten about you. It's not a sign that God's punishing you. It's not a sign that God's punished you. If you're a follower of Jesus, all your sins have been punished once and for all on the cross. God's not punishing you. He's weaving together your story to bring about his good intentions in this world. And he's always doing more than we can know or think. So first thought, the love of Jesus may include trouble for you. Second thought, is that the love of Jesus may include disappointment for you. It may include times of great disappointment. I want to show you one of the most surprising words in the entire Bible. It is, in fact, it is so surprising, the NIV translators don't have the guts to translate it right. They don't have the guts. So if you look at, I, I read from the NIV, and that's the Red Pew Bible in front of you as well. The, if you look at verse 5, It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And verse 6, the first word there is yet. So Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was. Which seems to say, even though Jesus loved them, he stayed there. He stayed. He delayed and let Lazarus die. Do you know what the word actually is instead of yet? The ESV translates it so. Other translations translate it, therefore, which means this. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so, because he loved them, because he was committed to them, because of his great love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he delayed and let Lazarus die. Because he loved them. That's surprising, isn't it? We, we don't think of love that way. We think if, Jesus, if you loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, you'd get on your horse and get your behind down to Bethany and make things right. If you really loved them. 
It says no. It says this. It says it in the Greek. Every scholar I read this week is saying, yep, it means therefore. He loved them, and because he loved them so much, he delayed and let Lazarus die. Therefore, he delayed. Because Jesus loved Lazarus, he chose to let him die. And, and, and he knows that his delay leads to Lazarus' death. We know that verse 14, he says really plainly to his disciples, Hey guys, dimwits, Lazarus is dead. Right? He's dead. I know that. I'm not speaking in euphemisms when I talk about his sleep. I'm speaking in euphemisms. I'm, he's dead. He's really dead. He's been dead for a couple of days already. When he gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And now we might say, well, you know what? It wasn't really all that bad. It wasn't so bad because um, Jesus would raise him. Jesus was about to raise him from the dead. We know that. that We know how the story ends. We know the end of the chapter, right? And so it wasn't really all that bad that Jesus let him die because he was just going to raise him up again. It's not not as bad as the death of my loved one. My, the death of my loved one is, is much more painful, is much more tragic than Lazarus' death. It seems easy for us to say that because we have the book, right? We read the whole story. We know the chapter. And yet, friends, we are in the middle of this chapter. Many of us have recently lost loved ones to death. And you're living in those four days in between death and resurrection. Lazarus really died. And so as far as Lazarus knew, Jesus didn't come. He was dead. As far as Mary and Martha knew, Jesus didn't come and Lazarus was dead for four days. He didn't come. And in fact... They, they very likely got word back when Jesus, when, when, when they sent messengers and said, the one you love is sick, and Jesus says, don't worry about it. This sickness won't end in death. And he delays for a few days. Those messengers went back home to Bethany. I'm sure they told, they told Lazarus, Mary, Martha, hey, don't worry about it. Jesus said this sickness doesn't end in death. Next day, Lazarus got a little worse and a little worse, and then he died. And so as far as Mary and Martha know, not only did Jesus not come, his, he broke his promise. He broke his word. His word was untrue. Can you imagine the disappointment they would have towards Jesus? You didn't come. You said he wouldn't die. And now he's dead. And you're still up in Galilee. Lazarus really died. Mary and Martha experienced real loss. Those sisters watched him die, they buried him, and they wondered where Jesus was. This was real death, real loss. And so the death of Lazarus is real and terrible. Just like the death of your loved one, and just like your death that's to come. We may think it's less terrible because Jesus raised Lazarus. 
But the truth is, is that your death will not be more terrible because you will be raised too. The only difference is the time between death and resurrection. That time may be more than four days for you. We know from the rest of this chapter, we know from the teaching that Jesus and the interaction Jesus has in the following verses that he means for us to see our resurrection in Lazarus' resurrection. He means for us to see that. And so Mary and Martha can be just as disappointed in Jesus as you and I can be. We asked him and we've sent messages to Jesus and said, this person is sick or I'm sick and we haven't gotten the answer. It seems like Jesus is delayed. Seems like Jesus hasn't come through for us in the way that we would want him to. And we can be disappointed. Sometimes our requests are not answered in the way that we want them to. And so you may be living in those days in between death and resurrection. The family in those days surely struggled to see how this was love. How was this love for you to delay and allow Lazarus to die? They struggled to see how, how is this death for God's glory? How is this illness for God's glory? And we know that would be revealed at the resurrection. It's too early to judge Jesus' love and Jesus' glory before Lazarus' resurrection. Just, friends, just in the same way, it's too early for us to judge Jesus' glory, Jesus' love for us before the resurrection. The resurrection will make it all clear. It will be revealed at the resurrection. Now, you may be here this morning, you're saying, man, you're banking on a resurrection. And that's true, we are. But I would, I would just want to recognize that I know what that sounds like. I know that that sounds like a fairy tale. I get that. That, that we, are, we are staking our lives, we're staking our hope on the reality, on the truth of a future resurrection. And that sounds preposterous. That sounds ridiculous, Right? to some of us who are maybe kicking the tires on Christian faith and we're not sure about things and we have questions. Sounds too good to be true. But that's ultimately the question. Is it true? Is it true? If it's not true, if the resurrection is not true, if that future resurrection of our bodies from our graves is not true, this whole thing's a sham. This whole thing's a sham. Paul says that, 1 Corinthians 15. We are to be pitied above everyone else. If the resurrection isn't true, we are to be pitied above everyone else because we've wasted our lives. We've come to church when we could be doing all kinds of other things this morning, right? And so if that's you, if, you, if this sounds too good to be true, if, it's, if, 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 if it feels like we're banking on a fairy tale, I'd encourage you to investigate the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus investigate it. There's been a lot of work done. There's some really good scholarly evidence to say it looks like Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, if that man can predict his own death and resurrection, he's, pretty, he's worth listening to. 
And if these eyewitnesses' account of him raising Lazarus from the death are true, he's worth listening to. And everything that he says is true. I'd encourage you, if, you're, if that's kind of the place where you're at, and you're, you're just kind of wondering about the resurrection, you're kind of wondering about the truth of Jesus, I'd encourage you to consider joining one of our Alpha groups which is really just a starting point for faith where any question can be asked in a really low-pressure environment, in a very open and honest way. There's no follow-up. There's no cost to this. There's, it's just totally open and no pressure to investigate some of the big questions of life. So if that's where you're at, I encourage you to talk to us. We'll have some information later on Alpha too. So last thing quickly, I want to just see in this text, is responding to trouble and disappointment. And so the love of Jesus, the truth that we can hold on to and really stake our lives on in, is that sometimes in our lives, because Jesus loves us, we're going to experience trouble and disappointment. So how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? Well, let's look, in, look at Mary and Martha and Lazarus. What was their first resort? Lazarus gets sick. Their first instinct is prayer. Right? They didn't try everything else and then, and then say, well, I guess we'll try prayer. I guess we'll see if God can help us. Right? No, their first instinct, their first resort was prayer. But look at their prayer. Look at their message that they sent to Jesus. I love this. It's simple, but it's beautiful. Lord, you're the Lord. You're the master. Lord, the one that you love is sick. The one you love is sick. Have you ever prayed like that? The one you love is sick. I want us to see that their appeal to Jesus isn't based on how good they are. They're not praying, hey Jesus, um, one of your best followers, one of your biggest donors is sick. We have a need. We've been supplying your need, so now it's time for you to supply our need. I've been obeying you. I've been obeying those Ten Commandments, and so I'm a really good guy. So now I need you to come through for me because I'm such a good guy. It's not based on their prayer to Jesus. isn't based on their performance, their record. It's not based on that. It's based on his love for them. Jesus, you love him. Jesus, you love us. And here's our need. And so we simply present our request to you because of your great love. And friends, we have such great evidence of Jesus' love for us. Because we have the gospel. We have the cross. We know, uh, we know the whole story of Jesus. He's demonstrated. He's proven his love for you. And so you can pray to him. Not, You know, sometimes we get in a, in a tough spot, right? And we, and we start making promises to God. And say, well, if, if you would just heal me now, then I'll serve you for the rest of my life. If, if, if you can answer my prayer and answer my request in the way that I want it, then um, I'll give this much money away, or I'll do this, or I'll do that. And we start making our prayers based on our performance and what we promise to do. But friends, isn't God's love and God's faithfulness a much stronger basis for prayer than our half-kept promises to Him? Pray based on His love. Pray is a first resort in times of trouble and disappointment. And secondly, I think an a, a appropriate response based on this passage is to judge our, 
um, trouble, to judge our circumstances, to judge our situation by Jesus' love and not the other way around. Don't judge Jesus' love for you based on how your circumstances are. Don't judge how much Jesus loves you by how well your life is going. Right? If we do that, if we judge and say, well, you know, my business is doing well. I'm in a financially good position right now. I'm healthy. I'm doing well. God must really love me today. That's a really fickle way of looking at God's love. Because if you get healthy, if you, if, your health lose, if, you, if you lose your health, if you get sick, all of a sudden Jesus doesn't love you so much. The Mary and Martha, they both respond to Jesus. And we'll see this next week. But verse 21, Martha, Martha says to Jesus, you know, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Mary says the exact same thing in verse 32 when she meets Jesus when he finally comes. Lord, he's still Lord. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I think that's a beautiful expression of disappointment. You're still the Lord, and I really wish he would have come. I really wish my brother wouldn't have died. But notice how they're bringing their disappointment to him. They're bringing it to him. And they're not lashing out at him. They're not saying, you promise breaker. You you don't care for us. You're here too late. You didn't show up. They're not lashing out. But they are expressing their disappointment. Many of us are going through times of real difficulty, real sorrow. I'd encourage us this morning, based on God's word to us, to see, to not judge those times of difficulty and sorrow as, as an expression, as an indi- indicator that Jesus doesn't love us. But rather, look and say, what, what are you doing in this circumstance? You do love me. Your love is the thing that's stable and steadfast and unshakable. So your love is the thing that's not changes. My circumstances have changed, but your love for me hasn't. And so what can I learn? How can I respond? How can I know you more because of this circumstance, because of this trouble, because of this disappointment? And so Jesus does love you. And because he loves you, He wants you to know his glory. He wants you to know himself. And so often, that means that he needs to lead us through deep, dark valleys, through times of trouble and disappointment. Let's pray together. So, Father, help us to respond to you in faith today. Help us to respond to Jesus with love, with honesty, say that you really are the king you are the lord some of us are disappointed in you we wish that you would have answered our prayers differently some of us lord are coming to you based on our record and we're saying we're you kind of owe us god we've been really good church attenders we've given money to the church and we've obeyed the ten commandments and and you kind of owe us you need to come through for us lord we change our heart towards you and learn to respond to you based on the gospel that you that we're the ones that you love
So Lord, teach us. Teach us to walk in faith, that we would experience life in your name. Give us the hope of the resurrection. And Lord, if we would doubt the resurrection, that it's really real, that it's really true, that it's really going to happen, I pray that your spirit would lead us to to a a steadfast and unshakable confidence in, in the truth of the resurrection. So come and have your way among us as we respond to you in community and in praise and worship and thanksgiving and prayer in these moments. Have your way among us. Be active among us, we pray in Jesus' name.